Welcome and thanks for listening. My name is Christian Buckley and you're listening to the Collab Talk podcast. In this episode, I'm talking with Brian Gerstner, president of White Label IQ, on the topic of developing exceptional online experiences and creating digital dominance. Let's get started. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Collab Talk podcast, where we discuss the convergence of technology, business productivity, and collaboration culture. My guest today is Brian Gerstner, president of White Label IQ. Welcome, Brian. Hello, hello. I'm glad to be here. Thank you. It's a great topic as always. We're talking today <laughs> about creating digital dominance, how to deliver exceptional online experiences that set you apart. And Brian, I always like to start with like more of your background. I'm sure just that one thing that I said about you, you're president of a company, you've right. done a bit more. Uh, maybe no, you no, do no. that. And then an overview of, of White Label IQ, what you guys focus on. Now, I've, um, I came up through the design world. So um, as a graphic designer, UX, UI designer, working in the agency space, um, it's what I loved. I mean, I, I loved art and um, from there, I, I just knew the future was going digital. So I went and studied IT and realized you have to specialize so much to be really great at what you do inside of the development world. So um, naturally, I just became the bridge, um, brought the creative and digital worlds together. And from there, just kind of had progressed and kind of grew myself into a position where now uh, we're running a team of 80 and we operate as the um, the digital arm of a significant amount of other marketing agencies. We had a very similar beginning. Uh, my initial, my first major for three years was industrial design. Yeah. I was going to do product design, but I was a design uh, art guy. I, I kind of got fed up with the program, went over into the art department, yeah. painted a lot. So um, yeah, I actually do have a painting degree too, but ah. um, yeah. realized I wasn't employable after that. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I though it's funny though, uh, and I saw too and your LinkedIn profile. So I, I was a graphic designer for the uh, Daily Universe, so my on-campus official newspaper, as well as the Student Review, which is the off-campus uh, uh, student newspaper as well. And then my first job, graphic design and marketing, getting into uh, you know marketing campaign development, that kind of thing too. And then over into IT where I mm -hmm. haven't left. <laughs> it may never, may never. Yeah, no, it's, there's, there's, uh, there's plenty to do uh, and it's always changing, always evolving and it's interesting. But uh, I, so maybe let's start by, maybe you could define kind of, how do you, how do you define digital dominance? I always like to say that like, it's, it's great to have goals and have the things that are out there, but if you don't have a clear definition of what it is you're trying to achieve, how do you know that you've achieved it? Well, so, yeah. What does that mean for businesses today? So, I mean, from my perspective, when I come into it, I, I very much look at it in the marketing lens. And for me, that means you have to know your audience. If you're going to, you, you're not going to dominate the entire landscape, but if you understand your audience, you can really dominate that experience by providing just best in class service that you can provide uh, an experience that um, your competitors can't. Just when you know your audience so well, you, you understand their pain points, you start to understand what they want. And just as you said about things changing, 
their needs and wants change. And you can only dominate if you know what it is you're trying to dominate. And that is harder than it sounds. Yeah, I, I've got a good friend who, uh, a very successful stockbroker, uh, and runs a firm. And uh, you know, I asked him, like everybody, is he is he uh, is a couple years younger than me, and and became wealthy very quickly, and very successful in that space. And I asked him one time, but like, what what was the focus? He said, because I, I focused on one area. He says mm-hmm. I know everything about that area. And so I know if somebody, if somebody in the, in the world, you know, a a company takes an action, I know how it impacts, you know, it will ripple in effect that industry that I follow. So he very much hyper-focused on one industry, of course, span, expanded that out there. And I often give that advice for people within the tech, you know, uh, coming out of college, Mm -hmm. looking at building a career, saying, go and be hyper specialized in an area find something and build and then grow skills from there but be that go-to person that subject matter expert in one area and then build from there yeah i mean i think as a person there's one way to look at that and approach it as a business there's another um and i'd I'd like to bridge that but key is as a business you, you have to have focus. You have to have that hyper-focus. And I think now is even more important than ever because you have to be able to demonstrate a position of authority at this point. Um, you know, people who are generalists, you know, AI is just beating the mediocrity out of all of us. I don't care what industry you're in. It's touching everybody. Um, so having a place that's hyper-focused allows you to, like, talk to your audience demonstrated, you know, an authority position, be the person who they know understands you. Cause then they, isn't that what we all want? We just all want to be understood a little bit, you know, as an individual, it is still the same. You need to really have a focus to be able to specialize in an area. Okay. To be able to be that specialist, to provide that high level of talent. But as a person, it is also more important that you start to understand um, everything around you. Just as I talked into coming up from art into IT into business and that, it, it's understanding that an experience is more than what the one thing you're doing. It has much to do with collaboration from a lot of other areas. And as you grow as a professional, you have to start to understand the people around you, what they're doing, why they're doing, how they see the world. And that allows you to you know, dominate. <laughs> it allows you to anticipate changes. It allows you to really manage disruption a little bit better. How, how do you get started in really identifying your audience? What is that? Is it, so I, I, a lot of people, I'm sure, especially in the tech world, we've mm-hmm. heard that, you know, audience creation uh, uh, to, to go and figure out, you know, personas and customer journey for each of those personas, kind of all those things, but you know, that we kind of gloss over that first part, which is identifying who is that key audience from which you pull those initial personas? Mm-hmm. How do you, so what does that process look like when you're working with clients? It looks messy. <laughs> so, yeah. um, well, cause a lot of times you don't exactly know who your audience is, you know, um, particularly if you're in tech and you're building a product or you're building a service, you don't know if you have audience fit, you have a grand idea, and maybe you're sitting up in an ivory tower and you think everybody sees it the same way you do, but um, the world doesn't, you know, you, you find it by iterating. 
you know, don't build it all the way out. Don't like just jump both feet in, take steps, take a lot of them rapidly. Okay. But take a lot of small steps, you know, identify the issues, identify the pain points and just test them out. Go out there. Don't, you know, take a PowerPoint, <laughs> you know, shop it around and go, Hey, I got a great idea. What do you think? I got a great idea. What do you think? I developed it a little bit further. What do you think? And constantly take it to your audience and iterate forward. You know, in the development world, just that whole concept of continuous improvement, it, it, it resides everywhere. You know, don't think you know everything, but just iterate forward, pivot, be willing to listen to your audience. And eventually, after you're doing that for quite a while, you're going to find your people. <laughs> you're going to find your audience. It, it uh, The one thing, though, is, you know, you, it also takes a huge amount of persistence in not giving up, not chasing shiny objects, but going down far enough to really be like, hey, this doesn't quite work. Who do I need to talk to? Who do I need to find? I have a vision. I just need to validate that vision with people. So well, I guess it's, it's so basically what you're saying is it's the good old uh, scientific method. <laughs> yeah, kind <laughs> of. Um, yeah. Just and partially too, like, don't, you know, be humble. Yeah. Know that your your audience is moving and you've got to follow them and um, it's going to take time. It's going to take time. You're not going to know who they are at first. Well, that's uh, again, that's the same. You, you, you can't be successful if you don't, you know, one have a, an idea of of what you're trying to accomplish and then measure that thing to know hey did that was that mm -hmm. successful or not that's why in you know, in a lot of you know digital marketing you have a b testing and mm -hmm. you both of them can be very successful um or one both of them fail but one is slightly better leverage what you learned about each of those improve it on and then go test again mm -hmm. I mean, in I in the IT world, I mean, we always say pilot, pilot, pilot. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, exactly. get through with the pilot, learn from that, and that's exactly what you said. It's it's you're iterating, you're learning, you're taking the learning from the last pilot, dumping that into the next pilot, uh, and go and expand. And that's why often building it certainly within the enterprise, and it's also true externally with public sites. Um, one version does not meet everyone's needs. You can't. It, it's i think we've learned that whether it's building an intranet or building you know a public facing website if you treat everybody the same and that's usually because you don't know who your customer is yeah. if you're not taking in that learning then you're less you're more likely to reach no one mm -hmm. so i mean that that's an interesting point um when i when we look at that too i look at a lot of the large uh, enterprise platforms and they are trying to serve everybody, right? Um, even just Google in general, you look at it, you, I can't compete against Google, I can't compete against Uber, I can't compete against all these other large companies. Um, but here, the the wild thing about that is that all the dominance that those companies create in those areas actually opens up opportunity because they, those larger players, have to treat everybody, have to have to have a broad market approach which means if you can get very specific and regional into a pain point, you can serve that pain point in a very unique way. You can, um, whereas Google may not have interest in, you know, creating a specific application for realtors, okay? 
it, it opens up opportunity for you to step in and really understand that pain point of your specific audience and to be able to serve it in a way that these larger platforms and companies cannot because they are trying to appeal to the masses. Well, it's like, like, yeah. I mean, it's, it's almost kind of cliche as like the the smaller, like the the Dunder Mifflin, uh, uh, you know, that's competing mm -hmm. against Staples, but why they were able to, uh, again, for folks that don't know or out of the country that I'm talking about, uh, um, you know, the, the television show, The Office and the, the paper company, um, and they would say they have higher prices, but it's their quality of service. That's their differentiator. Mm -hmm. And so for on a regional basis, they're able to survive and and do OK by understanding their customers that and, and retaining those customers that wanted, you know, a better service. Yeah. Because once again, like the large players are not going to be able to give you the level of customer service that you need. People, people don't buy products; they 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 buy feelings. <laughs> so I guess what I'm trying to back up and say is, people aren't rational. We're all emotional, okay? And you can build an experience that's perfect. It has all the bells and whistles. It meets everything. It operates great. But if the user experience is poor, and someone doesn't feel good about it, or they didn't feel comfortable, or they, then they're gone. We, 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 we make decisions about how we feel about an experience, not about the rational, like nuts and bolts of the delivery. So um, when coming into building, you know, dominance in an area, and as we've been talking a bit about knowing your audience, it, it's really about creating an experience that makes somebody feel like they're understood like their problem is solved like they have they they walk out feeling good um that they can conquer other problems you're, you're basically removing a roadblock for them so that they can do something else that's way more valuable mm -hmm. you know so you're building value uh in in pockets you know in your audience and addressing that um and there, there's it's wild because so much development, AI, all these things coming out, there's still so much opportunity out there by just understanding what you're trying to do and building an experience that people really like. So, I mean, dominance in the area too is these days is so much about personalization of the digital experience. You know, I think it's just become expected that you go to um, a digital property and it, you're not getting served up the same thing everybody is. Like if I'm going to e-commerce, you know, I want that e-commerce to like make my experience shorter and faster. And then I can get in there and get out because it gave me my recommendations. It told me what I wanted. It gave me my cart and all that information. That's great. If you're yeah. someone who doesn't like that type of convenience or the privacy concerns or issues, great. There's another opportunity. You provide the e-commerce that has zero tracking, doesn't advertise against anybody. You've just created an experience for another subset of that audience. Um, but it's still personalized because that's what they wanted. And you know that if there's enough people there, you can you can create that experience for them. So when we are looking at doing working for companies and creating, say, shopping tools, or we're creating like a B2B experience for people to create like um, order manufactured products and make sure they're specifically theirs to be able to track information. There's, we're, we're bringing a lot of data sources together into a front-end web application, okay? 
And that is, it's more complicated, but that is becoming much more expected than just having a brochure or a static site. Um, if you're really wanting to dominate the digital experience, um, that's the next step or, and it's really about personalization. Um, it's about entertainment. It's about just meeting that threshold and your website actually being a representation of your brand. Uh, so that that's a lot of varying points, but it, it, it's just so important because there's, you're just expected to do so much throughout the day. Just somebody help me out and make my life just a hair easier, and right. I'm yours. <laughs> well, it just, I just made me think of uh, you know that it's kind of the, the old sales adage that how much uh, you know, there's different variations of it, but it's easier to retain a customer than it is to find a new customer. Yeah, and a lot of that if you get people that come to your website. Um, but that's why, uh, you know, looking at engagement metrics is so much more uh, um, important, in my view, than mm -hmm. the, the initial visits, that that first page visit. If, if I get, if I'm seeing more depth where they, 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 they're on my site longer, they're clicking through multiple pages, you mm -hmm. know, more pages, like that's more important than just you know, the top of the funnel, getting more and more people's eyeballs well, on the site initially. And you also, you want fewer people because you want, because you want more highly qualified people and not just the general masses. Uh, you know, you, and you made a point like when the amount of money spent on new business development and the time and effort it takes is, is huge. Okay. And it's a very valid strategy. Just instead of spending so much on new product development, move those into loyalty programs and just start retaining and maintaining and growing your existing audience better and your current clients invest in them like in the in the marketing world particularly in where i work there's a lot of there's a, just a lot of need to grow current accounts if if you can demonstrate an authority and the client sees that there's opportunity and you you're doing it well enough that they see the value they feel the value they're coming back for more. They'll they'll create more budget yeah. uh, when there's a good idea out there. And um, I think it's very valid to move a lot of your new business development budgets directly into just making the experience better for the people that you already have. You know, referrals. You know, are are like gold. You know, right. the time it takes to close on a referral versus a cold visit is so drastically different. That experience is so different. Right. You know. And that even comes from even, you know, in the digital space, you know, someone going, hey, I really like what they're doing here. This is really exciting. Can I show it to you? You know, that you, you can't ask for more. That's that that's the that that is the organic referral that is like a true vote of confidence. So how how do you how do you um, strike a balance really between achieving those business objectives like sales or conversions mm -hmm. um, versus that user experience, improving the user experience, or do you separate those? Um, not really. I mean, you have to prioritize the initiatives, whether it's, um, but when looking at the conversions, you know, <clears throat> like I said, we'll, we'll do conversions, for example, in like AB testing. So coming into it, um, if you can, 
if you can run ad sets against a specific target audience, say you're using programmatic ad buys, driving them to a specific page, you know, run that. And then you're able to not only create that experience, but then after you have an experience where you know you're creating conversions, you can actually then go into customer service, your brick and mortar and your people, and then they can more tailor how they interact with that specific client, how you follow up with them, you know, because you're you're collecting data just by the fact that they engaged and they converted during a certain experience. So that should inform how your customer service team or your sales team follows up. You know, um, if it's B2B, you, know, you can look at the, uh, you can look at the, the time they're on the site, you can follow up with them and just start to understand what they need. In that B2B environment, there's just a lot of opportunity to really connect with people, find out what they want and just like, you know, tailor it even more. Because in the B2B experience, you can work with a much more narrow crowd sometimes, or you can reach out to those individuals and ask them exactly what they wanted, what their experience was, um, and just kind of listen. I, I feel like I'm going uh, across the board on a number of things, but you know, when we talk about experience, it 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 has to do with you know that person interacting through whatever digital experience that they're having but i i I'm, I'm bouncing because i don't want to walk away from what it really means for a real person to email and call out and talk to somebody or ask a question or to do a survey or to have an authentic experience with them right um, I, I think that is a part of the equation that we should never ignore because once again we're all emotional we make decisions. We want to feel heard. We want to feel understood. And that can be demonstrated in many different ways. And that takes collaboration across multiple departments. And when you can force that collaborate, we can force collaboration against multiple departments. You have innovation. That's really, in my mind, that's the only way to do it. You have to make people talk to one another who don't normally always talk to one another. <laughs> well, I, I, there's one thing about tracking the path the meandering path of a of an individual uh, whether it's consumer based or or b2b you know across your site you if you're if you think about the that you're creating that experience where you're informing somebody you're moving them through to that decision point of okay i need this software i need this service whatever that that thing is um again that's where if you see the level of engagement um let me back up one step like attribution is incredibly hard and mm -hmm. it's with with the technology changes and the death of cookies and and other things mm -hmm. uh you know that it's getting harder even harder to to get that attribution what are people actually doing what actually motivated them to move to that next step mm -hmm. and so if, but if you're if you have your site your ex user experience structured in a way that moves them through logically that they've got this you know, they move through that first page. All right. They have that basic understanding. They say, yes, I want to learn more. And then to the next piece, whatever that, whatever that, that, that workflow, that process, you know, looks like, um, having those, you know, just the conversion activities themselves mm -hmm. are so much more important than how many yeah. views, how many, you know, yeah, you know, whatever just it is. Like you said, Third-party cookie data is gone. You need first-party information now to really be able to tone in on it. And as far as the segmentation, you know, like 
the best way is just to ask. Ask them to self-segment themselves. Ask, you know, get them to fill out a form, give them something. If they're filling out a form, that's a transaction. It's, they're just not filling out the form. They want something from you. So do treat it as a transaction and try to add value into that moment. But um, in addition to that, you know, you're really not going to get great segmentation information until you get into much higher volumes of visitors. Like, you know, maybe a minimum of like three to 400,000 visitors per month before you can really dig down and have enough data to really be meaningful about it. Um, you can work with lower levels of data, but I think, you know, only until you get into those higher ones does the really investment start paying off. There's a lot of ways to do it before you get into like advanced reporting and segmentation. Um, but there's a lot of power there when you do, because just as you said, when you let into this question, it's hard. Um, the default is always, you know, first in or first out touch, which one do you use? You know, you should be watching both. Yeah, that's the, the uh, kind of where I was going is that, that, uh, uh, you know, you can get you really kind of swamped by the, the, you know, the, the analysis of the data points, but uh, I've always prioritized, um, customers calling, they fill out a form, they've, mm -hmm. they've done some kind of outreach. They say, yes please contact me, kind of all those things where you can actually have a conversation um, far outweigh any of the other data points that are pure digital. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, and it's crazy value. And you said if if you're in the place where you can have humans and direct con consumers reaching out to that, you know, collect that data, take the notes, write them down, share them, you know. Um, it, it's really important, you know, um, people want to be heard. They want that, you the only way you can dominate is if people feel that they're heard and understood. Um, until then, you're just an all you're just providing a generalized service to the masses. Well, I've always thought of it as like you're you're nurturing kind of everything that you're building. You're it's it's about the nurture. Um, and, and there are some people that you know um, I don't know what what it is anymore. I remember when my like my first marketing class in the uh, uh, late eighties was, it was uh, like 10 or 12 touch points in marketing before someone makes a buying decision. And that's been blown out. It's, it's like 30, 40, 50 touch points. Um, just because we're so inundated with marketing mm -hmm. messaging these days, I think we've just become, you know, desensitized to a lot of the marketing around us. So it just takes longer. Um, but we're nurturing people along some people want to read more. They want to, they want to continue down that nurture path and you need to provide that. I'm, I'm a huge content marketing advocate for mm -hmm. that, that reason. It's that, that they read along. They're still around. We see people that seem to just be floating out there around the site, um, never really taking that next step. And yet mm -hmm. they're still there because they're still reading up They're They're doing other things. Others that want to get their hands dirty, they want to play with something. So they either want to try it or people that are ready to buy it. And so you, you need to provide all three of those. You need to continue to nurture. You need to allow people, you know, some somehow to get engaged to do, do more. And then some people that have made the decision, you need to make it as easy as possible for them to give you money. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. There's so many audiences way to convert. I think the, the key from that though, depending upon your size, is um, there's a lot of paralysis that can come from that. You know, you just have to get started and you just have to identify your priorities, like list out a million different opportunities, bring them to the team and just really start 
finding out where you can start. For example, as you talk about content marketing, you know, if you can get the momentum in a content marketing program, there's a lot of options to be able to grow from there, to be able to like build out additional content. You're once again testing what people are engaging with, and then that really just informs a lot of your next steps. And I really like when you're starting to make the ideas and prioritize things, once again, bring people and bring your customer service people in. You bring your designers in, bring your tech people in. You let everybody contribute to it. I mean, that's very much like the growth hacking method of like, you know, interdisciplinary you know, collaboration. But it, it is important because as we talk about experience and digital domination, you know, once again, it, it, it comes from all aspects and all areas. And you have to understand your clients from all those different perspectives. Um, and as we are starting to specialize more and more and more, you know, just bring everybody in, force them to talk. Yeah. You know, once again, you're going to breed innovation. Well, the, and that's why, uh, you know, the, uh, you know, internally doing employee satisfaction, you know, partner surveys, doing externally, like, uh, you know, customer satisfaction surveys on a regular basis. So it's, it's an important part of, uh, of validating, Hey, we're mm -hmm. in, doing the right things. Um, and so that's one method. Um, another method of getting that information is, um, asking for feedback, then calling and talking directly to those mm -hmm. customers and finding out more. Uh, another way is, uh, where people that may not fill out the survey, they may not want a call back and, you know, they say, no, I don't, you have know, a lot of people, most people, myself included say, no, uh, you cannot call me for more information. <laughs> um, here's, here's my feedback, but do not call me. Um, still there's there's also doing uh you know focus groups to to go through and say here's what the experience what you know what's what's lacking it's actually something that i really admire about doing the formal like uh user interface development watching the ux designers work mm -hmm. and the kinds of questions that they ask um why did you click on that button what did you expect to happen when you clicked there or it, it, really it, yeah i mean coming from a design background um, UX, UI design, and even communication arts, one of the things I really liked about it is you really have to be empathetic. If you're going to be good at it, you're going to be an empathetic person because you're, you're always just trying to understand that other person's experience. You know, it's not about you. Yeah. <laughs> That's so hard. That is so hard. But um, yeah, what did you expect when you clicked that button? You know, and if you, that's not right, why did you expect something different? You know, maybe it's because a competitor is doing it differently or they saw someone else do something or there's a myriad of reasons. But um, I, I just, you know, just want to hone in on my own background as a designer and kind of how that's carried me forward is just like it is that aspect of just trying to understand somebody else's experience. I mean, it's just it's just powerful. It just really yeah. is. No, I, I, I love that aspect as well. It's, it's, uh, it's frustrating though. And when you work for a company where they're not listening to that and you're talking with customers, you're, your partner or customer facing and the change doesn't happen. And I mean that, you know, the, the, the answer is usually, well, the personnel, I mean, you just need to fill that, that gap in the, in the meantime, to be that connection for customers to get in between the difficult interface, the website, whatever the problems are, and 
answering those those customer needs. But that's kind of a I'm a big uh, uh, you know IT governance guy, and that's a mm-hmm. big part of governance. Governance is necessary. The the bureaucracy around it, you know, the having process, having people focused on that. A lot of times, it's to fill the gap between what the technology does and doesn't do, and what the customers are asking for, and the rest yeah. of it, it's governance in between that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, so how how it was so much that's changing in technology with all the AI stuff that's happening. So I'd love to hear your perspective. Like, how are you staying ahead? How is uh, you know white label IQ staying ahead of all those shifts? Are you leveraging the AI tools? Is that something that you're you're we're, is it mainstream yet that we're seeing the tools being used in the work that you do working with clients? How how are you you know helping businesses stay on top of these changes no um it is 100 percent. even if you don't recognize it it's it, it's it's baked in um for us you know one way is just process development and clarification um you know just making sure that we're covering bases we're revalidating the work that we do and we're um even if it's just like checklists, even if it's like trying to explain the work we're doing to somebody else in a better way with communication, or if it's just debugging and writing code, you know, we're doing it a lot faster. So um, just like when the internet, I'm going to date myself a little bit, but like when the internet came out, everybody was like, oh, you know, great. I just have to do a three, four hour workday if that, and I'll have everything, all my work will be done and I'm going to get to go to the lake or whatever. We just ended up working twice as hard. <laughs> you know, um, same thing's happening. Okay. We're going to have to produce two to three times the amount of work we're doing right now with the same amount of time and the same amount of resources. So, leveraging AI is very much about, you know, as we know, automating, you know, but um, we are going to, because of the difference in AI, is it's happening so much faster yeah. than ever before. So, when you look at as we talk about innovation talking business you know um if if you're managing the company you know how do you you really how are you managing all this change that's happening on um ai is ai is happening so quickly that you have to there's so much professional development there's all that internal outreach into your team like how can you use it asking questions like here's an opportunity uh, I think we have to be empathetic that it's it's head spinning for everybody who's in the industry working. And um, I think we have to be careful or we're going to lose a lot of really good people if we don't manage change well. Um, so as I talked about, you know, communications, debugging, how we're communicating with our clients and explaining things, um, just as the service verticals we're offering, a lot of the the future of some of these verticals is disappearing, mm-hmm. you know. The margins are going to are going to disappear. Some of the more simple things are just going to get automated. So how long do we stay in that area? You know, um, so it's not only affecting how we work, but it's it's affecting our future plans and what we're going to do and what where we're going to be an authority. You know, yeah, um, a lot of jobs are going to be destroyed. By the end of the day, more jobs will be created after this. Well, that, that's what I was going back to one of your first points about focusing more on, you know, digital transformation. That's a big part of it. It's, uh, you know, I, I know it became this kind of catchphrase out there, this gener- generic term, and people thought of it more of, oh, 
upgrade to the latest version of whatever of whoever's in front of me selling me something talk about uh you know digital transformation it's like no digital transformation was about optimizing improving you know what you're doing how you do business leveraging that technology changing process around that but a big part of that is going back to your earlier statement it's about iteration constantly looking at that i'm i'm a big deming fan i mean deming talked about when um and if you're familiar with his work and how he helped transform uh japan after mm. uh world war ii um it's why the like the top quality award you can receive in japan is the deming award mm-hmm. um and it, it so much of that is that you're constantly optimizing the system it doesn't stop like you you achieve a certain performance, um, you know, like, hey, we're, we're fantastic. We're, we've doubled the conversion rate of other site. All right. Well, there's going to be change. Something will change with our customers. Something will change with the technology. Something will change within the industry. And you, so you're constantly looking at optimizing, revisiting, you know, our, what, as what we understand, is it still true today? Uh, and then tweaking that, that system. Again, he would say in his crackly old voice, optimized mm-hmm. system. Um, that's a bit, that's what digital transformation is really about. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, because um, just things are changing so fast. Can't, <laughs> can't take anything for granted for too long anymore. You get too comfortable, that's your death. <laughs> that's a question to get a, a lot as a, as a Microsoft MVP. And people say, like, mm-hmm. how, do, how do you keep up? And uh, a, a big, part of the way I, I respond is like, look, I you know there's a single person cannot keep up with everything. Be aware yeah. of everything. You can't, you'd be reading all day long, following along, watching videos and still lose track of what's happening so fast. You need to tap into community. You also need to focus on going back to where we started, like that subject matter expertise, be mm-hmm. more focused on, you know, where, where do you want to build your, you know, your focus, build on your strengths and build that subject matter expertise. Yeah, uh, my uh, the peer networks we operate in have been some of the most valuable resources. Just to be able to phone a friend. <laughs> yeah. We <laughs> do once in a while. There, there are great small business peer group services that are out there. There's a couple that are here locally. Mm-hmm. Um, like I, I, I participated for the last few years uh, for MSP owner operators and uh, IT nation that runs those. I mean, just there's things like that in multiple industries where people that are business owners of about the same size can sit around and, and talk. When I was the CEO of my software startup in the late nineties, we started something called the CEO round table actually got written about in twice in red herring magazine if you remember red herring when it was still alive <laughs> um, we got written about twice um we're towards the start and a couple of years later as it uh-huh. as the dot-com bubble had burst and what happened with with uh, a bunch of the ceos um but uh no it was great to have people that had yeah, doing very different things as far as what our companies did, but similar experiences with raising funds, with customer acquisition, with partnerships, with legal issues, and being able to talk with them was yeah. huge. Well, it just helps you make 
decisions faster. There is, you know, what is it? Um, social proof is one is a, is a key way. There's, there's no time to do all the studying anymore. Right. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate your time, uh, Brian. And and uh, for folks, of course, we'll have uh, links that are out in the podcast and on the blog over to the uh, to the website if you want to find out more about White Label IQ. There's a lot of it's a really well designed site. A lot of information that all of the core services that you guys provide. So I don't know if you want to do quick pitch for your elevator pitch for your company. <laughs> oh, sure. I mean. Um, White Label IQ uh, provides uh, digital production services to marketing agencies. You know, if you're scaling, if you need bandwidth, if you need specialized services, we exclusively work with agencies. We know you incredibly well. We know your pain points. We've tailored how we work uh, to be able to serve you well. Excellent. Well, thanks so much for your time, Brian. Yeah, thank you so much. And also uh, check out our LinkedIn. We've put out tons of content. So of I'd course, and we'll have the LinkedIn link as well for everybody. So <laughs> thanks Thank so, much. so much. You've been listening to the Collab Talk podcast. New episodes are published weekly, and you can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and most other podcast platforms. Thanks for listening. Thank you.